You are listening to As a Woman, episode 103, Freezing Your Eggs with Dr. Valerie Libby. In this episode, I'm talking to my friend and fellow fertility doctor, Valerie, about her experience freezing her eggs and what to do when things don't go as planned. Welcome to As a Woman, the podcast hosted by fertility physician, Dr. Natalie Crawford, to educate and empower women. Each week, learn about your health, your fertility, and how they relate to your true self. Become a part of the community, fostering collaboration over competition while learning how to authentically find your voice and amplify others as a woman. Hey friends, welcome back to the podcast. I'm so excited today to have Valerie Libby, who is a fertility physician in Atlanta, on to talk about her experience freezing her eggs as a single woman who has done multiple cycles and things didn't always go as planned. Some of her frozen eggs were actually lost, and that's an experience she's going to share with you. Val is a fellow Longhorn. She went to UT here in Austin and got a degree in psychology and Spanish. She then went to the University of Texas Health Science Center in San Antonio to get her medical degree. She earned a master's in public health from George Washington University, and she graduated from her residency at Parkland Hospital, where I did mine. She actually made a residency transition, which we are going to talk about, and then she matched into a three-year fellowship in reproductive endocrinology and infertility at Cleveland Medical Center Case Western Reserve. She is board certified in OBGYN, and she is currently practicing in her hometown of Atlanta at Shady Grove Fertility. She is a dear friend, and I'm so excited she's going to be here to share her story today. I am so excited to have Dr. Valerie Libby here with me today on the podcast to talk about her egg freezing journey. Most of you don't know this, but I love Val so much, like so, 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 so much. So I'm thrilled to have you here. Oh my gosh. I am so honored to be here, Natalie. I love you equally, if not more. Um, Yeah, I obviously love your podcast and I've loved following you since the inception of my, um, you know, my career in, in, uh, OBGYN and meeting you for the first time, you know, when you were, you know, you and your training and I was in mine and that was just so cool. Cause I was following your footsteps. So I'm honored to be here. Love, love talking to you, hanging out with you. And I'm so excited to be here. So we met for people who don't know, because our love story is not public yet. You and I met in an airport in the lounge before we got on a plane coming home from ASRM when it was in Hawaii. So I was going back to UNC since I was a fellow there. And I heard you talking about being a OBGYN resident at Parkland. And I was like, oh my gosh, who are you? And why don't I know you? Because I should have known you based on the timeline and you had transferred into the program. And I felt like we just kicked it off right from the moment because a lot of our stories we've overlapped in places and different scenarios and you're just like my sister. I feel like my little sister throughout the whole process. So I've loved meeting you from that very first moment, but why don't you tell us how you got to that point? Like you're, why'd you go into medicine and how'd you end up as a fertility doctor? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I know. And I have loved you being like, you know, my big sister basically, because, um, you've always from the beginning before you did social media stuff, like you have been so supportive and helpful and always want to give advice. And it's, the best advice that I've gotten from like anyone. And it's I was so- like, sometimes you don't want the advice. And I'm like, by the way, here's some no, advice. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's, it, I asked for it, but it's amazing advice. It's something that you don't get from everyone. It's so honest and true and helpful. And it's wonderful anyways. Um, okay. So how did I get into infertility? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So basically I, you know, um, I was raised by a dad who's a urologist. So already talking about, you know, medicine and like the male aspect of, you know, the reproductive system. Um, and then I went to college in, at Texas, University of Texas and loved psychology, thought I would like be a psychologist or something one day, loved talking to people about their issues with like their partners and relationships. And so I just love that. And then I always thought, you know, having a family myself was literally the most important thing to me. Um, and so when I graduated college, I actually also wanted to save the world and speak all these languages. And so I lived abroad and then studied my master's in global health. And then I decided I was smart enough to actually help people instead of populations of people. And so I went to medical school. I then figured I'd be a pediatrician since I love kids and um, want to have lots of kids. Um, and I, my OBGYN from Atlanta was like, look, I think you would really love infertility. I know you love talking to people about like psychology and I know you love reproduction. So why don't you spend the summer like shadowing these doctors in Atlanta? And I did, and it was the best experience of my life, changed my decision, career path and everything. And that is why, because the second you walk into a fertility clinic, it is not only, a, it is the coolest thing for me was it's all about creating families. And that is the most important thing to me in the world. And so I just feel like being able to just be surrounded by that and help people with that objective is amazing. And then also to be able to use your brain and a little bit of science and also like the science, the technology behind it is so interesting and constantly evolving. So you're always at the forefront of medicine. So that's sort of why I chose this field. Yes. I love it. Um, it's a hard field to get into. So when you were making your decisions and I don't think everybody knows that hopefully if they listen to the podcast, they've realized that by now we do a OBGYN residency and you have to become board certified and regular OBGYN. And it's a very competitive path to fellowship and it's three years, half of its research. You often have to move all over the country. I don't know anybody who's really stayed in the same place for all of this. What was your experience like through training? Did you have moments of self-doubt or were I, or were you just, this is the plan and I have no plan B kind of, how did you approach it? Oh my gosh. I still have, I mean, I always, I think it's, it's normal and healthy to have moments of self-doubt and it made, has made me so much stronger. I've had so many challenges in my life. I am not the smartest kid in the class. I am not the, you know, type A. I'm actually a very non-traditional doctor in that sense. I am like type F, like I am <laughs> really not type A. Um, but I, um, but I think that's what makes me really relatable to patients. And um, and I, I worked really hard. So I knew that's what I wanted to do, but I knew that, that the, the, the best thing I have going for me is my personality and that I really have to highlight that and just study my booty off in order to get into that very difficult field. So I did, um, and anyone really can do it. I, I truly think that, you know, you have to work extremely hard, but I, I did it and I'm so thankful that I did. So yeah, I've had a lot of, of, um, of different experiences. So when I started, when I was in medical school, I obviously did good enough to go into OBGYN residency, but I stooped, I, I, I got into a residency in New York where I thought I would be with my boyfriend who I was dating long distance. And, um, I, I went into this residency and we broke up after three months of me living in New York, moving from Texas medical school to New York. And I was miserable because I, even though I love New York and my dad's side of the family is from there, I, 
you know, I went there for this guy. It was very cold, obviously, compared to the <laughs> South. And, um, and I was like, oh my gosh, OBGYN is so hard. Maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I should be a psychiatrist. I love psychology. I literally went on to residencyswap.com and was like, I need to transfer into a new program into like something different, something easier. Life is way more important than this. And then I was like, you know what, maybe it's New York and maybe it's the program and maybe it's not. And maybe it's the fact that we broke up. Maybe it's not OBGYN. So I, my friend told me that someone had, some people had dropped out in my class at UT Southwestern, the best residency program in the country that Natalie also <laughs> went to. Um, and that there were some open spots and she was my best friend. So I was like, Lindsay Jackson. So I, I was like, all right. And they let me just come because I had already interviewed there when I was applying. So they were just like, yeah, come and transfer. I spent a weekend, decided to transfer. That was, so then I started, you know, as a second year at UT Southwestern, the hardest program in the country. And it was so hard. And I <laughs> That's so hard. People don't even understand oh, how right. hard that is. It was so hard because you're already the new person that knows way less than everyone because you came from not the best school in the country that, you know, everyone that all the, that you work extremely hard. At. And so I was definitely had a huge handicap to cross. And in the first year I thought, not only am I not going to be a fertility doctor and get into fertility fellowship, I am not going to graduate OB-GYN residency. And I had to prove myself so much that not only did I graduate, but I got into the hardest, I mean, one of the hardest fellowships to get into from OB-GYN. So it took a lot. And I realized right then, you know, in my first year at UT Southwestern that it wasn't, um, it wasn't, it wasn't, it, it was not OBGYN. It was your first year, wherever you are is super hard. And so I encourage everyone that is applying to no, number one, that nothing, no decision you make is de definitive. You can always change your mind and there are always out. It's not like you don't, you don't, you're not com committing yourself. If you get in somewhere to go there to stay there forever, you can always change. And also, um, it, you know, their first year expected to be the worst year of your life and super, super hard, but it is totally worth it. And, um, and yeah. And so that was probably one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. I'm so proud of you though. And, you know, I switched from emergency medicine into OBGYN, but I was, you know, already at UT Southwestern and I'd already kind of rotated there. And I started over, unlike you who had LND and surgical experience, they, they were able just to take your intern year and apply it. I really didn't have that. So it was like, okay, we'll start over, which was really good. I kind of had the opposite end of it. So then I started my intern year, like on a, like the upper foot, I had some electives. I was able to do more research. So I'm so impressed by the fact that, and Parkland's like a club, right? So you try to break into the club late in the game. And anyways, you did it obviously beautifully. Oh so gosh. it just speaks to your perseverance. And it does mean if something is really important to you, you know, do not give up on it. But also like you are not married to your training program. So you, sh it should not be like the most miserable experience on earth. You should be able to say, if this isn't working for me, try to figure out what it is and why it is. And you know, going to a place and I tell everybody this, and you'll probably agree. The number one best thing I tell anybody who wants to go into REI is you should pick a residency if you can, that has a fellowship program. And that's because this is still a apprenticeship field. Everybody knows each other. And those letters of recommendation, they matter a lot, right? So that would have been so much harder for you staying at a place without a fellowship compared to a place that has one. 
Right, right. That's true. And actually, my that residency ended up having a fellowship, but they didn't have it at my first year. They just developed it. I would have maybe I would have been able to start it. But regardless, um, yes, I totally agree. Choosing a residency with a fellowship is super helpful. Um, but also know that if you don't get into a residency with a fellowship, which is definitely harder to do, that you can still you can still get in. I mean, there are some wonderful fellows and, and attendings out there that, that didn't come from residencies that had that. It just is, you're right, so much harder. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Caraway. Spring is coming and I always love a good home reset. Non-toxic cookware is the perfect way for you to kick off your own spring cleaning. With so many collections to explore, there is a Caraway for every cook. Their internet famous kitchenware is a staple for any home. It comes with beautiful shades to fit your aesthetic, but most importantly, you're ditching the chemicals. Caraway's non-toxic kitchenware comes a chemical-free ceramic coating so your food can be prepared without any of those hard-to-pronounce chemicals leaching in to your healthy ingredients. Everybody knows that I am a big believer that our environment impacts our body, and that's why I trust Caraway with my cooking. Visit carawayhome.com A-A-W to take advantage of this limited time offer for 10% off your next purchase. This deal is exclusive for our listeners. So visit carawayhome.com A-A-W or use the code A-A-W at checkout. Caraway non-toxic cookware made modern. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know that 97% of women aged 19 to 50 are not getting enough vitamin D from their diet? Ritual's Essential for Women 18 and Plus was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% in a clinical study. I love Ritual and I love taking their Essential for Women 18 Plus every single day. One reason I love it is that it's gentle on an empty stomach and it has a minty essence, so every bottle feels refreshing and is actually enjoyable. It's also clinically backed multivitamin with high quality and traceable key ingredients and they have industry-leading sustainability standards. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 and Over is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com A-A-W. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com A-A-W for 25% off. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. My closet has a tendency to get chaotic and crammed with a bunch of clothes that I don't really want to wear. What's been a game changer for me has been upgrading to high quality and affordable pieces from Quince. Now I have a wardrobe full of luxury and classic essentials and I stayed on budget. The best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands and they do this by partnering directly with top factories, cutting out the middleman and passing the savings on to us. In addition, Quince only works factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing and premium products and finishes. I personally am loving the linen pieces as it's Texas and summer's upon us. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com A-A-W for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot A-A-W to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash A-A-W. You just have to be your own advocate a little bit if that's the case, right? To find those opportunities and connect with people. But that's what medicine is. So I want to talk about 
you've already said, and this is so you, family is everything to you. Your personal family is helping people have the family of their dreams. You want a family, feel like you have your life planned out, move to New York for somebody, crash and burn. <laughs> and then where did the decision to freeze your eggs happen? Yeah. So, um, I mean, I feel so lucky that I walked into that clinic in Atlanta to shadow them, to learn that, uh, I could freeze my eggs. I had no idea as a medical student, even my first year, I don't know if you, when you knew that you could freeze your eggs or that IVF was a thing, but I didn't know anything about it until medical school. Did you? Well, egg freezing was still experimental when I was in medical school. So it was not a thing you could do because I'm so old. So, <laughs> it, you know, it came off experimental, like when I was in residency, but yeah. So when I was a med student and I would sit there and worry about when would I have kids, there was not this option of, well, I could go freeze my eggs as one of my choices. It was, yeah. when am I going to start trying to do this? And I didn't even think of IVF or making embryos and freezing them as an option. Cause nobody talked about that. Like I, we do now for young couples who say, Hey, we're married, but we want to travel the world when COVID's over and, but we still want to have family and we take them through that embryo stage. That was not even ever anything that anybody had ever said to me. And I would just sit there and say, oh my gosh, when are we going to have kids? Because this training pathway is really overwhelming. Right. Right. Yeah, for sure. It's so, and, and part of me, Natalie, and I think about this a lot is, was it because, is it, are there, there are still a lot of 20 year olds out there that know not, that do not know IVF exists. So part of me is like, it, was it just our age, like that time in our life where we're not actually physically trying to make babies. And, um, and so you just don't know about it or is it because it was still experimental and coming up, but regardless, I did find out about egg freezing. Um, when I was in medical school, I had this like weird feeling deep down that I was going to be on this long path, you know, in medicine and I wasn't going to meet the right guy for a very long time, if ever, but hopefully I knew I would meet the right guy, but I knew it was going to take a very long time and I was 28 and I knew my mom had menopause on the relatively early side at 43. And I was like, I got to get going. I have a boyfriend, but like, I don't know if we're going anywhere. I can't bank on this guy. I really don't want to settle. So I, you know, I luckily I'd known that it existed. And so I started in as a, as a 28 year old medical student. And then I did it four times. Okay. So we're going to go through some of this because mm -hmm. I hear, I see, I love working in Austin. So I see medical students all the time since there's a med school here. Yes. And one thing is they're really worried that freezing their eggs is not possible with the medical student curriculum. And I'm always like, it is not going to get easier. This is the perfect time. You know, you're not an essential caretaker, even though yes, your job is important. And there's often some rotations that are easier than others, or if you can find an advocate, you know, an attending who you're able to share what you're doing, if you feel comfortable, who's going to help you. Cause it is such a short period of time that you actually have to come into the clinic, but how did you balance being a med student and freezing your eggs? Super easy. I mean, looking back, you know, looking back, <laughs> medical school was like awesome, but when you're in it, you're like, oh my God, this is so hard. I have no time, but you don't realize how much, how much time you actually had, but so, I mean, you know, medical school is the best time to do it. Um, and you always keep telling yourself, that's not going to be me. I'm going to meet the, I'm going to meet the right guy. Like I'm pretty, I'm smart. I work hard, whatever. I'm going to meet the right guy. And then it ends up being you. Okay. So no time is a good time. There is never a good time. Your life is always too, there's too much going on to take care of the important things, especially things that require a lot of money potentially 
and a lot, uh, and it requires you to like take injections and like do stuff and you're dating and you're going on dates at night and how do you do it? But yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, medical school, looking back was the best time to do it. If you are in any sort of like, um, higher education, like now is a good time, like law school, medical school, dental school, whatever masters, like that is a really good time because you're basically taking classes. Maybe you have a job as well, but it's a good time to do it. So I just, I mean, I think I did it my fourth year. So, or even my third year during rotations, but I think my fourth year, so fourth year is pretty chill in medical school. And like, um, I just took the time and, you know, it takes two weeks. And so, I would go that go to the office and, you know, have have an appointment in the morning and then go to my classes um, in the afternoon. And it was it was you can do everything usually at seven a.m. and so usually your work day or your school day doesn't really start till late anyway. So you've got all of it taken care of. And then in the evenings when you're injecting yourself, you just make sure that you are either home or you bring it with you to your date or whatever, and you like go inject yourself in the bathroom. Um, and you know, then I did it again in residency. Um, twice. And that was much harder because OB-GYN residency is very hard, but we are very lucky at UT Southwestern Parkland, believe it or not, our night float, even though most people don't like that, this, but you do three weeks in a row. Um, and other places like in New York, we did four days in a row and then, and then you switch back to day, four nights in a row, and then you switch to nights. But so it's much easier when you have three weeks in a row on nights to say, okay, while I'm on my night shift every during, during the day, every day, I'll go do my monitoring and go to the office in the morning, right after the end of night shift at 7am or 8am and then go to sleep for the rest of the day and then wake up, inject yourself and go, you know, do work. Um, and so, and then I had my retrieval during the day, of course. And, um, and my mom would always come. My mom and dad flew to, to, to my retrievals and always, or my mom was always there, you know, oh. me throughout the day, but it's not a big deal. You don't even, I mean, it's fine. You just need someone to drive you home. And, um, and then that evening I would say, I can't operate until after midnight. Cause I have anesthesia in my body. And then it was fine. I mean, I would go to, I, I would even go to, it's for everybody, you know, deals with the retrieval differently. But for me, I did it four times and never once did I have any pain or any problems. It was the best day of my life. Cause you have like anesthesia and it's like, so awesome. <laughs> You're like, it's so awesome. I think it's so important to reiterate the fact that you said, and I tell everybody this too, but some, there's all these barriers that we build up in our own brain about process. It takes two weeks and you're not even going to the office every day of those two weeks. It's very fast for most people, you know, I'm not gonna say for everybody, of course, there's always exceptions, but for the average person coming in to freeze her eggs, it's going to be a really quick process. And most of the time I hear that was easier than I thought that I didn't have to come in as many times as I thought, Oh, I didn't have to take off with that one day of the retrieval. Oh, it wasn't so bad. And I think we build it up like, Oh God, it's this huge thing. That's going to be this huge burden on my life and impact so many things but it's really much easier to integrate, I think, than most people expect. Don't you think? I totally agree. And I think the other two things I want to mention is that, um, so not only is it hard to coordinate your work schedule and everything, but also like back before COVID, you know, remember when we had like, you know, <laughs> weddings and bachelorette parties? What are those? Trips? What? Yeah, I mean, baby showers, you know, all these things every weekend. So that was hard, but I remember I would, I had a travel pack that I would take with me on the airplanes. And sometimes you would have to have things frozen. I remember leaving my medicine in an Airbnb once and having to run from the airport to get my medicine. But 
you you make it work. Ultimately, you, you figure out how to carry the injections on the planes. You figure out, because no time is a good time, but now is the best time because you're younger now and your eggs are younger now than they'll ever be, A. And B, um, yeah, you, so you're younger now. And then also, like, when you, when you, are, I, I remember having gone on dates and stuff in the evening and, um, and being nervous, like, to tell the guys that I was going through the process or, you know, to take time to go to the bathroom. But again, all it's going to do is, is enrich the rest of your life because you now have the ability to have control over your biological clock, something that men don't have to worry about, but women feel very un- like they don't have control over that. You are now taking control of that. And I think that it is so empowering and it helps you in your dating life and so many other aspects of your life. This is all so, so good. And I love the last thing you said, and I will have people ask me this all the time. Well, what if I never use my eggs? And I'm like, great, that's fabulous, right? You didn't have to use your eggs. Life went on some plan that you were happy with, but you don't have to feel that internal pressure on a new relationship that, oh my gosh, I'm now 36. And what, what does this mean? Is this, is this real or not real? You can let the relationship be more organic and is it going to work out or not and feel some comfort in the fact that you've done something. I hate, I personally hate the word insurance policy. This is not an insurance policy like at all, but it is an opportunity and you've done what you can. You put yourself in the driver's seat instead of just letting your fertility, like go down with time. Yeah. I have a question for you. So did you know, when you started this and did anybody tell you you were going to freeze your eggs four times. Did you have expectations set? Did somebody give you a talk saying, Hey, based on how many kids you want and how many antral follicles I see, or your AMH, this is what it's going to look like. Or was it simply, no, I had no idea. And I just tried to keep doing it as many times as I could. To be honest, since, since egg freezing was just sort of experimental back then, uh, or it was just coming into like being accepted I don't know. I had no idea I would do this four times. I knew that I thought I would maybe only have to do it once. Honestly, I think I, I think my mom and I both thought that and they, I was lucky enough for it to have them help me financially. And so I thought I would only have to do it one time. And then when I, I didn't really have, have the discussion with my physician who was taking care of me at the time about, you know, how many children I wanted or how many eggs I was comfortable with having until after that first round. And I had no idea that I would need and want to do it multiple times. But I think that, you know, nowadays doctors, I'm sure you, I do, we all talk to our patients ahead of time and really try to understand on that first visit, how many kids do you want? Okay, let's see what your numbers are. Let's see how many, how many eggs we think we're, how many mature eggs we think we're gonna get from each cycle, from each retrieval. And realistically, how many retrievals we think you're probably going to need. You may need less, you may need more, but I think that that conversation is definitely more prevalent now. Um, I did not know how many times I would have to go through this, but every after every time I felt relief, even after the first time with only like five eggs frozen, I felt some relief. I was like, oh my gosh, dating is so different now, you know? And, um, and so I think that I didn't know, but I, I mean- 
obviously every time you're like, I just, I really need, I need to have, I need to feel comfortable that I can have two kids and don't have to settle. And I'm not fully there yet, you know? And I honestly, I have 22 frozen eggs right now and I'm still not fully there. I would, st- I'm still thinking about doing it. another. Yeah, round. no, don't. Um, <laughs> Val's putting her hands over her face, but no, I think you're being really honest. And I also, I want to hone in on this point. And I'm sure you tell everybody this, your experience is your own. There's no reason to spend a single moment comparing yourself against your friends, right? Because you and your very best friend will go through as the process and it will be extremely different. Everybody has their own timeline for aging. Everybody has their own response to medications. There are things sometimes that you can't control along the process. So let all of that go and just feel really comforted with the fact that I'm doing what I can do for my future because one of my goals is a family and I don't want to just do nothing and have that go away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So talking about things that can go wrong when we talk about egg freezing. So I always counsel patients, okay, your cycle could get canceled. You know, sometimes you could, you could mess up with the trigger shot or ovulate through sometimes at retrieval, we have follicles that are empty, even though that's rare or a high percentage of immaturity. So you get eggs and they're not all mature. And those factors we're usually able to modify in subsequent cycles. Like we learn about somebody, they responded well to this, they responded bad to this, but there's also some things that we have less control over in the lab that are extremely rare occurrences, but things happen. There can be natural disasters. There can be technology failures. And one thing that got a lot of press years ago was when some tanks, wherever the details were at different places, some eggs did not stay frozen. They kind of Um, the power was lost or they were not staying frozen. And so there were people who lost eggs and embryos in some of that scenario. And you're one of those people. How did you take that news? Like, I just, how did that, that had to feel, how'd that feel? Well, um, it was a long time ago and it was, um, I was in training and I knew that a lot of the patients that were also at the clinic had lost eggs and embryos. And that is really all I was concerned about because I already had a lot of eggs frozen in other places. Um, and so for me, I, I worried much less about myself, but more about my work, um, and my, and patients at the work and, you know, and, you know, um, my, the clinic that I was, you know, training. Um, so yeah, so I think that, you know, for me, I had just frozen my eggs eight months prior to that. And, and I had gotten the most egg that I had ever gotten from a retrieval at the time, which was like 12 or something. Um, and so, but they were only, if I had, if I got to repeat a cycle, right, then they would only be eight months older. Yeah. And so I was like, this is not a big deal. There were some patients that had lost embryos that had gone through cancer and then no longer had function of their ovaries, you know, and so they could no way they could produce, you know, those eggs or embryos ever again. So they, you know, mine, my, mine was so mild compared to what other people went through, but regardless, I mean, it, there was a, there was a sense of loss. Um, but for me, I knew that other people were just going through so many, so much worse so many worse experiences. And I mean, I was angry, you know, I wanted to know what happened, um, why it happened for myself, for the patients and everything. Um, and no one really knows still, but 
Um, but the thing is, like, for example, now I work at Shady Grove Fertility in Atlanta, and I have never seen a better well-run clinic that all they all they do there's so much and every clinic has quality control or QC that they do every single day but that experience um the experiences that occurred many years ago at the other clinics helped all of the clinics across the country implement all these new um very tight processes it was very rare occurrence and it hadn't happened for like 20 years prior to that but all of a sudden it, it occurred and it brought to light some very important things that are now very tightly regulated and clinics have to go undergo, you know, scrutiny every single year by like a laboratory board that comes and clears them and makes sure and makes sure that all of these processes are being completed every single day to ensure that errors and, you know, errors are, you know, every, they are everything that is done is like quadruple checked and a million times. And so there are so many um, ways to prevent that now uh, that it's, you know, it seems like it shouldn't happen. It shouldn't happen again. I love that you brought up some of this, just that clinics. And I feel like this is true. This was a wake up call across the field. There've been other reports of other, you know, errors. There was a famous case of, you know, the wrong embryos in California and somebody. And I feel like when these things happen, they really make everybody have a higher level of scrutiny, but they scare patients. So I think that's okay. If these things make you nervous and I promise you, we, your fertility doctors, we're all on your team and we only want what's very, very best for you, but I think it's fine. And I encourage people to ask, Hey, what measures do you have in the lab to make sure that my sample is mine and that nothing's going to happen to it? And what about in cases of natural disasters or other events and hear about some of this stuff, because, you know, we all, oh, there's the color tape, there's the different incubators, there's different places, different stages, there are, you know, generators and backup generators and different levels of security, you know, lab we use, it's like, if the power goes out, it calls this person, it buzzes this person, it pages somebody, there's generators to kick on. And I think that hearing that should at least make you feel like as a consumer, as a patient, that your clinic the, the worst thing ever for a clinic would be to have a detrimental outcome like that and lose people's, you know, precious samples, their embryos, their eggs. So nobody wants that to happen. But if you're concerned, I think ask, and you know, nobody's trying to hide anything from you. Everybody's trying to be really upfront and honest. Yeah. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Rocket Money. Did you know that nearly 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about? Embarrassingly, I am one of those as well. And Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you that otherwise could have been a time-consuming process. Between streaming services, fitness apps, and delivery services, it can be never-ending. So Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. They monitor your spending and help you lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of 500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash A-A-W. That's rocketmoney.com slash A-A-W. Rocketmoney.com slash A-A-W. What questions? would you have for somebody who let's say they want to go freeze their eggs? They hear this, they hear about how many times you did it. Oh, maybe I want to go get my fertility checked. I want to talk to somebody about freezing my eggs. 
what do you recommend to somebody either, whether it's advice or if it's, Hey, ask your, ask this or be aware of this or find this out. Yeah. I think the number one thing is if you have any questions about, you know, should I freeze my eggs? Absolutely. A hundred percent go to a fertility specialist and get evaluated. Do not waste a second because, you know, although general OBGYNs know a, a, a lot about, um, you know, the decline of our, of our egg quality and quantity over time, they, I, I feel like going to a fertility specialist is truly needed in order to make that help guide our patients to the right decision for them and when they should be freezing their eggs. So they, they're going to need an evaluation that primarily consists of knowing how, how old their eggs are, how many eggs they have left, what their ovarian reserve is, which includes like a few blood tests and an ultrasound. And then, um, and they need a fertility doctor to help, help them understand what that means for them. And also in relation to how many children they want, when they think they're going to be financially, physically, emotionally ready to have those children. Um, and, um, and so I think that all of these questions and decisions really require a team of with you doing this with, with a fertility doctor that talks about this every single day. Um, I think that important things to ask the clinic are, you know, obviously price is huge. Do you accept the insurance? Like, will, will my insurance cover this? You need to know exactly how much it will cost. You need to know if they have any financial packages. If you don't get any eggs the first time, will they, will they charge you? If you, if you have to cancel a cycle, will they charge you? If you, um, you know, what is it, what is a good number of eggs you want to have frozen? What are their egg freezing success rates at their clinic? What, how, what are the success rates of their thaws and have they had any good outcomes from that? Um, I, you know, speaking a little bit about what occurred with me, I think one of the questions that I think is really important that not all the clinics have is an on-site lab director. And, um, and I think that that is, that is something you should probably ask your, um, your, your clinic. I mean, another thing to ask is where do you store the eggs? Sometimes people, ship the eggs and embryos to offsite storage for long-term storage. It's just something to ask and to inquire, but I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but I think that it's something to know and ask about. Um, and, you know, know that for me, I have eggs in multiple different places right now. And, and I live in Atlanta and there, and I will have them shipped here when I'm ready to use them. And we have patients ship eggs and embryos all across the country all the time. And they're totally safe. And I am not worried at all. So, um, so I think, you know, there's so many questions to ask, but I think finances, um, is really important. If you have a hard work schedule, can they see you in the evening? Can they see you really early in the morning? Can it work around your work schedule and how much does it cost? Um, how much does the storage of the, of the eggs cost? Will they cost you monthly fees or yearly fees? Um, do they cost, do they make you pay per egg stored or per, you know, batch, or just per year. Um, and, you know, those sort of questions I think are, are important. These are fabulous questions. I want to highlight a couple of them again, because they're so important. One, when should you freeze your eggs? I tell everybody the moment you're asking the question, that's the time you should freeze your eggs. You're never going to move 
and get older and not wish you'd done it younger. So the moment you're starting to think about it is the moment you should freeze your eggs. Number two, cost is really important. Clinics should be transparent. I really don't love when clinics nickel and dime or they have hidden fees or suddenly there's a weekend differential and this and that. And if they have that, you should know about it and at least know how many visits you think you would have if it's a pay per visit. A lot of places do a here's a package, whether you're seeing four times or 12 times, but just know what you're getting because you don't want to have the cost be significantly higher than you were anticipating. I also say, this is not the time to go to Walmart. Like this is not the time to go to Walmart. So some of those really good questions about, you know, what is, you know, your, your doctor's thoughts, are they counseling you? Well, how is the lab who's in the lab and things people may not know about like an onsite offsite lab director. It's one thing if you have, you know, a lab director that covers two sites and they're close to each other and they're really involved in both. It's another thing if this is a person who flies there once a year or once a quarter and just spends one day there and has no idea the ins and outs of that clinic. And so those were some of the questions you're alluding to. And the last one that you said, what's your success rate freezing the eggs and clinics that are just freezing eggs and they aren't thawing the eggs. Like they can give you a success rate on oh, our patients do really well, but they haven't really been tested for what matters. And that's how do the eggs survive the thaw and how do they develop once they turn into embryo? And that's really the end goal that matters the most because when we're doing this, we're putting a lot of hope into the future and we're making a lot of assumptions that things are gonna go an average way. You're gonna have normal survival, normal fert, normal growth, and everybody falls above and below average. And we know that, but we hate to have variables extra added in there from just somewhere that maybe isn't as proven or they don't have that data behind. And so asking the questions will help you at least understand so that you are an educated consumer and not just Googling, going to the closest or the cheapest. Like that's usually not the best plan to make any big decision in your life. You want to research it and, and make sure you're comfortable with where you're going and who you're seeing. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, we at Shady Grow Fertility, for example, which is the reason, one of the main reason why I joined, well, one of the big reasons I joined Shady Grove was because we have these really cool financial packages for egg freezing, where, for example, you can choose either the Assure 20 or Assure 30 program. So we assure that you will get 20 eggs or up to four cycles of IVF, whichever comes first, or we will assure that you get 30 eggs or up to five cycles. And you pay a much, much less than you would pay if you needed four or five cycles. So, um, so, you know, things like that, those kind of programs that a lot of clinics offer, but some clinics don't. And a lot of times it's a lot more expensive and you just, you don't know until you get there. And then another important thing to ask clinics is, okay, so my, my visit may be covered by my insurance and you think that they accept your insurance or whatever. And then, but then when it comes to the actual, every single thing you do that costs money, the retrieval, the, you know, the blood draws, all of that stuff that ends up not being covered and they accept a completely different insurance. And so you had no idea. And it's just, it's kind of like dishonest, I feel. So. No, I've seen that um, even here in, in town in Austin where there's like a bait and switch, like, yeah, we take your insurance, come on in. And then suddenly the lab doesn't. And that, and that happens at a lot of places, but what you should know is, okay, well, your insurance is not accepted, you know, by the lab. So it's an out-of-network cost and the cost is going to be XXX dollars in, in order to do this, but here are your options. And so then you can at least say, great, I know that, 
nobody's hiding this from me. What you hate to do is be at the stage of your egg retrieval, like, oh, well, the lab is out of network. So here is the money you need to pay in order to proceed. That is so, I don't know. That's so dishonest and deceiving and not fair to people to go through. So definitely having, I love when places, I mean, we have, and I know you guys have, you know, somebody dedicated to doing financials and billing and somebody who really, I don't want to talk money with you. I want to talk about the medicine. I want to talk about how many eggs you need, what your protocol is going to be, what your journey is going to be, how many kids you want, you know, what you did for Halloween. I want to talk about all those things. I want somebody else to talk about how much money it's going to cost and make sure you have all of those questions really ironed out and answered so that it's super duper clear. Yeah, I agree. And, and also just to enforce that, you know, usually egg freezing is not covered by insurance. It's just important to know whenever you're doing anything in the fertility world and for them to be very transparent. So I just wanted to put that out there. That is true. Although we are seeing a lot of, you know, tech-based employers that have um, like an employer-based program that does actually cover egg freezing. So always something to look at. And if -hmm. you're partnered, you know, insurance always goes through you. So if your spouse has awesome coverage because they work at Apple, but you work at UT and you don't have coverage, like you can't just tap into theirs. You need to like be on their insurance. There's lots of ins and outs of navigating the process, but for the most part, it is often self-pay and it's much less than IVF. It's like halfway through the process. It's much less. And most clinics do give you a discount if you need multiple cycles in some form or fashion. And so that's also helpful to have your expectations set appropriately from the beginning. Okay, I think you're going to need two cycles based on your goal and what we're seeing. And so you can kind of mindset that money, that experience and all of that into one. We could chat all day, but why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? So somebody wants to follow you on social or become a patient. How do they get in touch with you? Yeah. Okay, great. Um, thank you so much, Natalie. Um, I, I'm such a huge fan of you and every, everyone I know in Texas, which is a lot of people since I did all my training there, I, I always advocate for them to see, see one of your patients like a week. It's like referred from Valerie Libby and they're like random. I went to college with her. Oh, I was a med student with her. It's like random people. Okay, good. I'll just keep sending them. No. To you. Um, they love you. They love seeing you. Everyone does. Um, and so yeah, so I am in Atlanta, Georgia. I work at Shady Grove Fertility in Atlanta. It's a nationwide practice, but my, not in Texas, but my um, office is in Atlanta. So you can, I do see out-of-state patients and, um, and, and I see in-state patients, everything's via, you know, telemedicine anyways right now. Um, so you can just call our office 404-843-2229 and get an appointment. Um, you can also follow me on Instagram, Valerie Libby MD. Um, and, and I would love to talk to you and I can try to talk you through things. Um, and yeah, and, and I have an email. Um, uh, um, okay. Okay. We'll cut that part out. Yeah. Let's put that out. Um, okay. yeah. Well, Val, I mean, if anybody, I send everybody who's in the Atlanta area. And since I grew up there, that is my area. I send everybody your way, because I just know that you are one of the most sincere and caring and honest. And you can say you're not the smartest one, but you actually one of the smartest people I know, and you work your butt off. So I think that is the hands that I want to be in where I have a doctor who's advocating for me and who I know is doing this job because it really means the world to her. So go see Val. And just thank you so much for spending your time talking to me and sharing your story. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I wish all of y'all the best. All right. Well, a huge thanks to Val for coming on and sharing her story. And hopefully anybody who is considering freezing their eggs got some valuable information 
and some good questions to ask and to think about. I always have more information on other episodes, and I have a YouTube channel that has a couple episodes just about egg freezing, Natalie Crawford, MD. As always, you can follow along on Instagram or TikTok, and I look forward to talking again soon. Thanks, friends. <music>